um, may these words that I speak align with your spirit. And um, God, I just pray that you would give me wisdom and words, that these would not be mine, but, but your words and your message. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can you guys hear me okay? Okay. I literally, like I was teaching on Thursday and I had to actually stop my class early um, because uh, progressively over the course of the, the lecture, I just got like my voice just went way downhill. Um, okay, so if you would turn with me, um, our, our passage this morning is in, uh, the, well, the memo I got was 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, but the good news is, even though our scripture reading was from 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, um, Timothy is really all interconnected to both 1 and 2 Timothy. Um, so I will just read 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, um, turn with me there and follow along if you would. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Um, some, one of the, uh, the ESV says a, a great number of teachers to suit their own passions. Um, they will turn aside, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Okay, so... With this passage this morning, I wanted to start with uh, the, from the middle instead of from the beginning, with verse three, because uh, I wanted to just get up here and say like, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, because I mean, isn't that so symptomatic of our world today? People gather around them a multitude of teachers who tell them what they want to hear. And the interesting thing today is like, People don't even have to do it for themselves. They got algorithms to do it for them, right? Our, our whole media industry, all social media, all these sorts of things are totally, this is their business model, is to tell people what they want to hear, right? And we, 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 we're familiar with the terms like echo chambers. People are out there talking and getting the feedback and, you know, all kind of saying the same things. And the interesting thing about this, too, is that because there are so, di so many different sources of media, you can get the same message in all these different voices, right? From a little bit different perspective, from a little bit different perspective, from 10 different sources. And then you get the illusion that, like, oh, I'm hearing all sides of this issue, or I'm hearing different perspectives on this, right? Um, but in fact, you're, you're kind of hearing, we, we often hear the same perspective over and over again from multiple sources. And another point to be made is like, when we think about what our ears want to hear, is it always good news? I, I mean, right, like the new, the, we know that from the news industry too. Bad news sells. Um, and, but, but often it is some sort of news that like makes us feel like we're correct or we're like vindicated or we're right sort of thing. Right. Um, so I thought like, you know, one 
I mean, there's a lot of great examples out there going on in the world right now. Like, as a political independent, with all the chaos in the U.S. government right now, sometimes I just want to, like, grab a bag of popcorn and just sit and watch, right? Like, just sit and watch the chaos and, like, oh, they're not going to get a speaker again this time, you know? Um, and just, like, I find myself being, like, here for the entertainment value, right? And with the, the, the devastation that's going on in places like Israel and Palestine right now, and how many people out there are consuming or reading that news, and the message that they get from it is, well, I was right all along about those people, right? Whichever side it is, like, hey, I, I was right, to, you know, I'm, I supported the right side in this. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, what about you? Are there things that your ears itch to hear? And then maybe a more pointed question for us too. Is the word of God one of those things that you enjoy hearing because it makes you feel right or better than other people or wiser? Um, you know, Pastor Nate says, like, do you come with a shopper attitude to church? Kind of take what you what you want, right? Um, take away what you're looking for. You come in, grab the piece that suits you, and then, and then walk out the door. Um, or do you come willing to hear and chew on things that also make you uncomfortable? And, yeah, I mean, I just, I think, like, we look, if you look around at the church today, there's so much in the church that is catering to our culture. And it's not like, you know, we, we as Americans often think in binaries, right? Left versus right, whatever. Like, it's not just liberal or conservative. Like, you see it, you see the gospel being used as kind of this feel-good message, right? And you see the Bible being used that way. Like, hey, feel good about yourself. Like, you know, uh, here's some encouragement, your da daily Bible verse encouragement, that sort of thing. And you hear the Bible being used as a political tool. Right? I mean, it comes on, and, 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 and we can see this scripture being used and manipulated in these different ways. So one answer is that I hear sometimes is like, well, just turn to scripture. Just turn and read the Bible. And what does the Bible say? And you're like, well, the Bible says a lot of different things. And, you know, so, so my point is, like, it's not that simple, right? There's a reason why we send people to, like, like pastor. People go and get training, right? We have people, we have seminaries. We have degrees. People get doctorates in theological studies and spend years studying not just, like, the Bible as a whole even, but, like, one book of the Bible, right, or a couple of books. Um, and there's just a lot there. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I sit down and like read the, the go through scripture as a whole and read it, um, there are parts that make me really uncomfortable. Like, you ever read the Old Testament and you're like, did God really say that? Um, right? And, or like, and if he, if, it, if he did, like, is that the same God who is love incarnate as Christ Jesus? Right? Like, there, there are questions that it's okay to ask. And if you want to delve in and understand, you need to ask these sorts of things.
um, and not just take away um, kind of what, what you want to hear from it. Uh, but so, so that's, you know, kind of the preface in a way to, to talking about verse three. Um, but what, one thing that it, start, that it says at the beginning of, of verse three that gives us a hint where the antidote to this lies is that Paul says in this letter to, to Timothy, um, people turn away from sound doctrine. So the question, the two questions that I really want to get at today are one, what is sound doctrine? And two, where does sound doctrine take us in terms of some kind of practical action steps, that sort of thing? Okay, so also, by the way, I, I'm used to teaching in a university, so I like interaction. I don't just like to sit up here and talk. So um, a little bit of context for Timothy to help us understand what he's, what Paul is talking about in this letter. Um, can, does anybody know offhand what Gnosticism is? No. <laughs> anybody? It's what? <laughs> okay, not, not indifference, something to do with spiritualism, yes. Gnosticism, G, capital G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. Yeah, Gnosticism. Jessica? Okay, salvation through secret knowledge is one of the, the core principles. So, okay, so some context here, what, um, what Paul is arguing against as unsound doctrine, there's a very clear example going through the early church. Um, and that's in the form of Gnosticism. And so the core belief of Gnosticism, again, starting with a GN, Gnosticism, um, is that there's this dualism. Spirit is good. Matter is evil, right? Spirit is good. Matter is evil. Therefore, there are three kind of principles that flow from that. One, part of God's goodness is that he's 100% spirit. See what that means for Jesus? Like, you know, if God is good because he's 100% spirit, and that's opposed to the human body, which is evil and corrupted. So they're explaining like the principle of sin as an aspect of the material world, right? Sin comes from because we're material, because we're incarnate. It's just like the flesh is rotting away, this sort of thing. Okay, so therefore, if God is good because he's spirit and his spirit is good and matter is evil, then Jesus either was not human, he was just sort of an apparition, Right? Like, so, there, so it actually leads, there were like apparently two strands of thought here. Either Jesus was just like a, an a, appear, like a ghost sort of thing, right? Like not an actual material being. Or the spirit of God came down and lived in a man who was totally separate and not actually Jesus, but sort of like a vehicle, like a spirit medium sort of thing, and then departed before that guy died. Right, um, so as I understand it, right, I'm not an expert in these things, but I, I, in the research that I did, this was really interesting to kind of learn a little bit more about this. But the, then the implication of that, right? So another implication of that is that 
if Christ could not be saved in a material body, we also cannot be saved and rescued and resurrected in material bodies. The spirit is sort of what, what matters. Okay, so if the spirit is all that matters, as Gnosticism says, then there are two ways that you could take that and that people who believe this, this uh, teaching in the early church, uh, which you know, quickly became pointed out as a heresy. Clearly, this is going on in the time of Paul, so in the time of the apostles. So one way people took it was toward asceticism, which is like harming your body, right? Like flogging, like starving yourself, putting yourself out, and like, you know, to, to kind of refine your spirit by punishing the body. And another way people took it was total licentiousness. So like, well, if the body doesn't matter and the spirit's all that matters, I can do whatever I want, right? Like, it doesn't matter because the body's already evil. So if I do evil stuff with my body, it doesn't matter, right? Because it's only like the body's already evil. The body's going to die anyway, so it doesn't really matter what I do with it. So we see this in, if you back up to, to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul specifically calls out Hymenaeus and Philetus, um, saying that the resurrection has already happened. So this uh, uh, seems to be a reference. It doesn't give too much detail, um, but there, uh, the, it seems to be a reference to kind of this belief that like, well, the resurrection isn't actually a material bodily resurrection. It's something only spiritual. So therefore, these guys are saying uh, it already happened. Um, there's another reference uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, so yeah, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul asked how some people are saying there's no resurrection of the dead. Um, right? And Paul takes this, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, a little bit more head-on, takes on the, the Gnostic heresy. He says, if in principle the body cannot be raised from the dead, um, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Right? So Gnosticism denies Jesus' bodily resurrection. Um, and if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then the core teachings of all the witnesses of Jesus' life were wrong. Right? Um, they, they were, then they were mistaken. And, uh, and, and, and Paul's response is, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. And that's 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 21. Okay, so for context again, in 2 Timothy, we're talking about this specific myth, right? That people are turning aside to and away from the eyewitness accounts of um, the Gospels. So much for Gnosticism, but that leaves us like, what are our culture's core myths. What do people in our society believe? Your own God? I mean, in a way, isn't it kind of like the opposite of Gnosticism? They're like, the body's all you got. Like, feel good. This life is it. You know, YOLO. You only live once. Do whatever. Um, so, you know, but it is kind of like a feel-good, build-your-own-reality. Uh, and if you find obstacles to your own self-fulfillment, then it's probably because society is oppressing you in some way, right? Like so the kind of abstract principle, like society is, is something to, to blame um, for any sort of individual who experiences difficulty in their life. 
uh, or at least certain, certain times of difficulty. So uh, another thing is a, an aversion to suffering, right? I mean, people are so averse to it, like run away from suffering, which I get, um, right? And, but, but the church has catered to that too, right? We have gospels of wealth, the, the, the message that like, oh, hey, you know, come to church and what's going to happen is like, you're going to be blessed and you're going to, you, you know, your paycheck's going to come and you're going to get that job back, right? Like your, your cancer's going to go away. Uh, the, the, your, your kids are going to want a relationship with you again suddenly. Whatever it is, like those, um, those, those promises. I mean, look at the evidence. Where's Paul writing the letter to Timothy from? A dungeon in Rome. Like nobody could even find where he was, right? Um, and so, yeah, the, 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 the point here being that, so, like, whether you like it or not, we can pretend that suffering's not going to um, come. We can pretend that the gospel's just going to, like, immediately rescue us from any sort of material uh, situation that we're in. But we need sound doctrine because we need to be able to go through those times of suffering and hardship as the early church fathers did, as Jesus himself did, right? Okay, so to my core question then. What is sound doctrine? I know I'm just going to reach down there and tip over this tea really soon. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> okay, so the, um, I think when when we read this, uh, it actually, so I'll back up again just a little bit to, uh, to 2 Timothy 2, um, and in verse 8, Paul identifies what I read as, uh, again, I'm, I'm preaching on these five verses, uh, but we're, we have to go back a little bit for a little bit of, for some context. The core that, uh, that, that Paul preaches is this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. So my takeaway from that is that sound doctrine should probably lead us to rules and principles and guidelines for our lives but sound doctrine does not lead with rules and principles, right? It doesn't lead with rules and principles. It leads with a person. Um, the character, the person uh, of Jesus Christ, who, right, descended from David, raised from the dead, descended from Devin, D David, spiritual and material, all at once, the Son of God and fully man. Um, and this is, this Paul identifies as the gospel, right? The gospel is actually not, we, we use the gospel as like a, a term for the books about Jesus, but the, the gospel is Jesus, right? Those books were eyewitness accounts of his life and his teaching. So, um, I would suggest then that all sound doctrine in our faith flows from the person of Christ 
and the first doctrine that Jesus, that Christ is God become man, the, you know, I, I love uh, Dallas Willard. I know Drew joins me in that. Um, any other Dallas Willard fans out there? Dallas Willard makes the point that, like, we all like to think, you know, Jesus is really wise, but, like, Einstein's probably the smartest guy alive. No, Jesus is the smartest guy who ever lived, too, the smartest person who ever lived, um, and the wisest. Um, and he did two things that, re- that radically transform our lives. First of all, he atoned for us, right? He died the, the death before a perfect God who could not countenance imperfection so that we didn't have to and so that we are able to present ourselves blameless before God. And then number two, he laid out explicit teaching on how to follow him into the kingdom, right? Um, and so... So we have to look back, I think, and, and think about that teaching, but also always keep in, in view the person who it flows from and the centrality of that. Now, too often, I think, in our society and in the church in America, Jesus kind of gets remade, right? Like Just like Jesus' makeover into who you want him to be. And it's like, on, on one hand, he's, you know, the, the, you, you could think of maybe like a quote-unquote liberal Jesus. Like loving, you know, kind, forgiving, just like accepts everybody for who they are. Always your best friend, never calls you out for anything. Just like, you know, okay. And on the other hand, like uh, maybe quote-unquote conservative Jesus, who is like, you know, harsh. He's the one turning over the, the, t- the tables in, of the money changers in the temple, right? Like calling people, calling the, the leaders of the day, you know, calling them to their face for what they're doing, like that sort of thing, being harsh. And I mean, you can, you can look through the Gospels if you want to just cherry pick. You can find that. You can paint a picture of Jesus either, either way. Um, but my point is it, it, you, we have to avoid the risk of of having a Jesus, of knowing a Jesus and worshiping a Jesus who tells us what our itching ears want to hear, right? We have to listen to him as a whole, a whole body of work, a whole life of ministry, even though it was a short life, a shortened life of ministry. But still, uh, John tells us, I, I believe that, like, if uh, everything was written down that Jesus had done, even after the resurrection, there would not be enough books in the world to tell us what had happened. Um, we have these kind of snippets of, of his life. Uh, but I also, like, keep in mind what our gospel is of the death and resurrection of Christ. If Jesus was just a soft-hearted guy who accepted everyone, nobody would have crucified him. Right? I mean, like, people have been like, oh, yeah, go, go, like, sit on Jesus' knee and, you know, you know, tell him what you want for Christmas and that sort of thing. Like, let Jesus give you a hug. Like, yeah, he got crucified for a reason. He was making people mad. He was telling people what they did not want to hear. Um, on the other hand, if Jesus was just a stickler for the rules, like, he wouldn't have had a massive following. And he wouldn't have totally transformed the world. 
in the past 2,000 years by, by his following. I mean, it's incredible how people are who really get a glimpse of Jesus through the Gospels and through people living out his life and his teaching, how people are drawn to that. I mean, how, how I hope you are, how I'm drawn to that. Um, okay, so that's my point about sound doctrine. It's really about the centrality of, of Christ there. Um, so we can work our way out then. We've, I've, I've, you know, so far I've only been talking about uh, verses 3 to 4. Um, a core message of Jesus' teaching is the proclamation that God's kingdom is here and is available. It's available for you. You can step into it right now. Um, and notice that that is Paul's starting point. This is a concept straight from Jesus' mouth. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, right? God, Jesus is present. His presence is here. Who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. His kingdom is here with us. Um, do you see Jesus' life now reflected in that first sentence? The presence of God and Christ Jesus who will judge the living and dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Jesus do a little bit of that. Be prepared in season and out of season. Right? Good times are coming. Bad times are coming. Whatever time we're in, we have to be prepared. And, um, and even that, like, I think you can unpack that because one real, like, uh, consistent characteristic of Jesus' life was that he would preach. He would go and travel around and preach and teach in the synagogues. And then he would back off and prepare, right? Not only himself, but also his disciples. They'd, like, go alone in the wilderness to pray. People were clamoring for him to talk to them. He'd be like, no, I'm going to take a couple days. <coughs> so, then second, <clears throat> be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Those three things are like, those aren't synonyms for each other. That's not repeating. Correct people who maybe want to be corrected. <coughs> Rebuke people who are not doing the right thing, who are falling astray, who are wandering, and encourage, right? Um, and the fact that those three things go together, right, that also points to the complexity of Christ and his ministry and the complexity that we're called to. Like, I uh, I went to, to college with this guy who just his, his whole, I mean, he was the kindest person I've probably ever met. He wore a shirt every single day that just said, free hugs. He started an organization that went, like, pretty big where the principle was give everybody a big free hug. And, like, that's great. That's a really wonderful thing. And as a person, he was also more multidimensional than that. 
Because you can start with a hug, but you also have to be able to hold the other things of correcting people who are wrong, right? And rebuking people who need, who need to hear something different than what they're used to hearing. Um, and then also we're told, right, with great, cor- correct rebuke and encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. That patience is key too. Like, I mean, think about Jesus' life and ministry. He had people clamoring to make him king, right? To bring, like, people wanted, if he wanted to, he could have grown a megachurch in, like, just a couple of months, right? The pre, the, like, what we're told, how many people were following him? Is that what he did? He withdrew to a quiet place. He focused on teaching his disciples, and training them and equipping them for understanding his death and resurrection and for continuing to live out and and preach and expand the kingdom after Jesus was no longer here in his material form with us on this earth. So uh, I I think to me, as, as I read this, like we think about sound doctrine, there's probably a lot more to it than that, than I, than I've covered um, but definitely not less than that. And I think for us, that's, that's a starting point. Um, I am going to be a little bit short today just because if I talk for too long, I probably will have a big coughing fit. Um, so, and also, I mean, hopefully this is just concise and to the point, and I don't need to drag it on. Um, so let's go to the final aspect, which is application of this doctrine. Um, There's an implicit application that we're called to here in in the contrast, right? So again, if the focus that uh, that my focus today has been, you know, this this multitude of teachers who tell us what, tell people what their itching ears want to hear, there's a contrast there implicitly. We have one good teacher who tells us not only the things we want to hear, but uncomfortable things that we don't want to hear, right? Uh, That we are broken, that Jesus knows the depths of our sin. Like, think about the things that, I'm sure, you know, if you read through the Gospels, you can come up with a pretty long list of things Jesus told people that, like, that they didn't want to hear, right? The woman at the well, oh yeah, I know you don't have a husband, yeah, because you've had five and you're, you know, the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Like, she's like, whoa, that's an uncomfortable thing to, to be called out with, right? I mean, again, the authorities of the day are like, they're, they're mad because he's telling, he's calling them, hey, whitewash tombs, you know? You guys clean the outside of the cup and you leave the inside dirty. Um, and, and, uh, and Jesus is telling, hey, he knows us to that level too. Right of our of knowing our hearts and searching our hearts, and he loves us, and so part of telling us the things that we don't want to hear is part of his love and his care for us. So that would kind of be my my core takeaway. But I think there are three other practical implications um, for life in today's echo chambers. So. Point one would be the gospel doesn't need an echo chamber. It doesn't need, like, 
if you want to follow Christ and you want to understand scripture, you don't need to just sort of read all the same things and read all people who agree with you or listen to all preachers who agree with you or whatever. Like there is health and um, <clears throat> seeking a diversity of perspectives and counselors, right? Hearing the same passages, the same books taught multiple ways from different perspectives and so on. Like that's one thing I was really <clears throat> thankful for growing up. My, uh, some of you know, my dad's a pastor so I grew up in a small church in central Florida. Uh, and I, I've met a lot of people who have grown up as pastor's kids, missionary kids. And some of those people will be like, oh, like, so you were never allowed to, like, ask questions or whatever. Or like, you know, my dad was like, hey, do you want to read this book on evolution? Like, sure, cool, all right. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, and, 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 but really, like, he, he encouraged us from the beginning <coughs> myself and my siblings to like ask uncomfortable questions and he didn't he is a very very smart guy and knows the scripture very well but didn't feel like he always had to have an answer for it um, and said like yeah like there are like you should have questions and you should ask those questions and the gospel is strong enough that you can hear other things and you can understand different points of view and those can even enhance your ability to engage with other people in the world. And you can do that and hear those things without being led astray. Because the gospel and Jesus are strong enough for that. Right? And if you just pretend like that, we, and I'm not saying like just go and read and listen to anything, just to be clear. Right? There is stuff out there that is misleading, that is unhealthy. But I think that within, within guidelines, like, you know, that it's a good thing to encourage in us and in our kids to understand the kind of different perspectives that people come to. And it helps our, our witness as well because we know where people are coming from. And if you understand the kind of philosophical points underpinning and you read the kind of beliefs and arguments that people are buying into, that can really help to, to understand them. Um, so also... Be the person who doesn't just tell. So point, point, my takeaway number two would be, be the person who doesn't just tell other people what they want to hear. Sure, like give free hugs and encouragement if that's your thing. I totally, 100% support that. Um, but don't just tell them what they want to hear. You can combine loving people with telling people uncomfortable things. And it's hard because like you don't, you can only control yourself, right? You can't control somebody's reaction when you tell them something that they don't want to hear. And I know, you know, in practice, there's always that balancing. I'm like, ooh, how are they going to take it? Like, I'm not sure. Yeah, I've been there, right? Most of us have. Um, but yeah, we, we don't, right? We, we, we need to speak the truth and to proclaim the truth in ways that are loving to people and that are principled. I think uh, one kind of subset of that is like uh, not jumping to taking sides as they are framed in our culture.
maybe the most blatant example out there right now, at least as I'm aware of, is Israel and Palestine. I see on social media and the news so many people jumping to take a side. Jumping like eager. I stand with Israel. Free Palestine, right? And those that, that like it's more complex than that. And that doesn't mean to say that, to say like, hey, like there are bad things going on and people are caught in the middle (coughs) and there are lots of people who have died and been hurt whose lives have been destroyed on all sides of an issue that's not being lukewarm or just like taking a kind of you know uh, middle ground on things it's radical to advocate for combinations of things, to go beyond the simplicity and to say things like, hey, we need mercy and justice, right? Like, we need love and we need principles. And the challenge of our lives is to combine those things that the world puts aside as like, these are two opposites, we can't have both. Like, no, we need both, right? Um, and then point three, Lastly, a a word of encouragement from verse 5. Verse 5 says, But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Clearly, you know, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a leader of the church. Um, and so there may be one aspect in which we take, you know, you have to, it has to be read in that light that he's, he's talking to a pastor equivalent. Um, but at the same time, I think this does speak to all of us. Because all of us who follow Christ, we do have a singular purpose. We have a lot of things, a lot of goals, a lot of purposes that we pursue in our lives. <coughs> But we do have a singular purpose at all times to, to, to follow, to follow our leader, to follow Jesus, to live in his kingdom and to spread his kingdom, right? Um, so that, we, we have that. And if you experience hardships, seasons of difficulty, it doesn't mean necessarily that you're doing something wrong. Sometimes when you do something wrong, there are natural consequences, right? I mean, sometimes we mess up and we get ourselves into a mess. But the converse, that doesn't make the converse true. If you're in a mess, if you're in difficulty, if you're in hard times, it's not necessarily because you've done something wrong. Like, it can be because even you're doing things right and those put you in a hard position. But we are called to follow Paul and other early church leaders and Jesus <coughs> through those difficulties. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Again, when pastor asks you six months in advance with very careful planning, you can't just cancel the day before. Okay, so my last point is this. 
in season and out of season, good times and hard times, from the mountaintops and from jail cells and the dungeon. We're called to endure, to witness, to teach, rebuke, and encourage whoever the people are who God's entrusted to us in our circle of influence, in our care, in our ministry. Think about who those people are for you, whatever they are going through, whatever you're going through. Be Jesus for them. Be his hands and feet for them. And bear, continue to bear faithful witness through dark times and when, when times are good. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Sometimes I think, God, the New Testament is just way too short um, to give us the, the kind of guidelines and stories and the complexity of what you've, what you've done um, but God, we thank you for the teaching and just for the ability to come together and unpack this. Um, God, just pray that you would strengthen us through good times and hard times. Um, Lord, let us be faithful witnesses of your work. And God, give us wisdom and a multitude of counselors. And at the same time, give us the strength and the focus to follow the one true voice who we need to be listening to at all times. Amen.